grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, there is a friendship pad that we'd love to have you fill out to let us know that you're here, whether you are just visiting or whether you are regularly here. You will find it. It's a black folder. Also, the announcements of the week. Our men, many of them are on men's retreat this week. They are at Lake Arrowhead, and they'll be heading home just about now, and they usually get home about noon on Sunday when they do that. This week on Wednesday, there is a Red Cross blood drive. You can still participate in that, and you can see the information about how to sign up. Next Sunday morning at the 10 o'clock hour, we have an adult education class being offered. Larry and Lori and Gary Cowman, that don't make one name out of that, um, who have been missionaries with Wycliffe Bible Translators for many years in Kenya, are home for quite a few months here, and they will be moving to South Africa rather than Kenya when they go back to Africa, and they'll be talking about their ministry next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock over in Tankersley Hall. Also, our fall pancake breakfast will be two weeks from today. You don't have to prepare ahead of time. You can just come and pay at the door. Uh, besides pancakes, we have all sorts of healthy options if you're feeling healthy or trying to pretend like you feel healthy in front of everybody else. So you can eat yogurt and fruit and then sneak the pancakes and sausage when nobody's looking, if that's what you want to do, Beth. I do all the time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that is two weeks from today. Uh, it's kicking off what, a whole month of what we're calling a season of gratitude as part of our 100th anniversary. Uh, that is for the month of November. That's what we're celebrating is a gratitude for all of God's grace to us. Uh, all of, also, um, there is information here about our book talk group. I will be talking about those books in the sermon, but if you decide that you want to read them after I talk about them, you can see what the books are written in here. Also, our children's musical for Christmas will be December 17th in the worship service. Our children always perform a short musical at that time of year, and this is the time when they begin practicing. So they began practicing today at 10. If you have a child who might want to be part of that, the thing to do is to contact Linda White, our choral director, who's not there now because she's probably with the children. Um, 9.30 to 10. So she is with the kids probably, um, but you can contact her and get your child involved. They, they, you can't wait too long, but if they weren't here today, it's still possible to be involved in that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Christ, to whom we turn in every season of life and from whom we receive life and well-being, this morning, our hearts are full of deep gratitude that in life and in death, we belong to you. So we come to you now with lyrics and cadences that locate us home, safe in your steadfast love that endures forever. We are witnesses to your mercy to us in Jesus Christ, to your splendor at work in the world, and we will not keep silent ever again. So open our minds and hearts that we might praise you. Amen. The words of Psalm 100 call us to worship this morning. Let us join together responsively. Shout with joy to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Know that the Lord is God. He made, he made us, us and, and we, we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Church, let us stand as we worship God in song. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune our hearts this morning. Prone to wander we are. Together. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never 
Let us be seated as we continue in worship. Psalm 121.
thank you that you are our shepherd. Shepherd me, O oh God, beyond my wants. The psalmist calls us to confession this morning. But we have allowed our anger, our rage, our greed, and at times even hate to direct our paths. We have overreacted, we have taken more than our share, and we have displeased, we seem displeased that others have so much. Shepherd me, O oh God, from death Forgive us, God, for not following your ways. Forgive us for not remembering that we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. us when we have not listened for your voice and instead have acted in the ways of the world. Guide us back to your path, to loving you and loving our neighbors. Help us to unclench our fists and lend out our hands in hope and healing and forgiveness and in love. Shepherd us, O oh God, beyond our fears, beyond our wants, from death into life. Hear us now, O oh Lord, as we come to you, good shepherd, in the silence. Amen. Hear the good news of God's grace that comes to us from Psalm 121. He will not, not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen.
Our psalm reading this morning is from Psalm 23, probably the most familiar of all the psalms. Allow God to speak to you afresh from it today, from words that perhaps you know very well. Hear the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or most versions say the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it was a late afternoon in the fall, the day that the cows got out. My dad was not yet home from work on his orange grove, and so the only ones of us home were my mother and my aunt and I, and I was 11. We'd moved just a few months before from Orange County to Porterville. I think as part of, to, partly to sweeten the deal, uh, Dad had thrown in some getting of horses to make us feel better about moving to the country. And somehow, for reasons that nobody ever understood, the horses seemed to have come along with some cows. So there was a pen back by the barn behind our house, and the cows just lived there. Uh, the cows, we didn't use them for milk, we didn't use them for meat. They were just cows, and we had cows. And none of us had ever been anywhere near the cows except my dad. So then, as we got to that afternoon, there were the cows. They were out trotting on the street and trampling down the grove next door. What were three city girls going to do? Where did we even start to try to control the cows? We had absolutely no idea. So we went outside as it's getting darker and darker and colder and colder. And first we tried shooing them. Cows do not shoo. And then we tried being very large and yelling at them and trying to surround them and get them to go back. A couple of them would go this way. Others would go that way, back out into the street. The, tr the cows were absolutely not impressed at all. And I actually don't remember if we ever got all the stupid cows back in the pen. It was sheep and not cows that Israel knew about, but they still had to be herded. It must have been easier than what we did. Throughout much of the history of Israel, some of the leaders of Israel were nomadic shepherds. Abraham himself was a shepherd. As he traveled to the land that God had promised, his herds went along with him, and he had to lead them to places where they would graze and where they would be able to find water. His son Isaac was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd before he was king. Sheep weren't kept in pens back behind the house by the barn. Instead, they were allowed to be on the range, and somebody had to watch them. They couldn't just be left to their own defenses. So the image of a shepherd and of sheep is very deep in the image of Israel. Uh, Israel considered the leader of the nation to be their shepherd. 
They considered God to be their shepherd. The kings were considered to be good shepherds if they ruled well, but the prophets condemned as bad shepherds those who took advantage of the sheep and just uh, got rich because of the sheep and didn't really take care of the sheep that needed them. Even today in Israel, it's not uncommon to see Bedouin shepherds leading their flocks. Some of you have traveled in other countries where you may have had to stop your car or stop the whatever vehicle you were on to let big herds of sheep cross the road. It's the way you raise sheep. It's not like the way you raise cows. Jesus would have known seeing those Bedouin shepherds going across the countryside, just like we saw when we were in Israel. And Jesus would have grown up praying this psalm. It would have been a part of his thinking. And he grew to call himself the good shepherd. David, as, as a shepherd, probably had lots of time to sit out there watching the sheep and to reflect on how God was not only the shepherd for the nation, but how God was his own personal shepherd. And so this psalm comes out of his experience of knowing what it takes to be a shepherd, but also of uh, day after day after day, thinking about how God cared for him in the way that he was trying to care for the sheep that he was in charge of. Jesus said that he looked upon the people and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are in real trouble. Sheep just cannot take care of themselves. They are dependent animals. They cannot find their way to a place to eat or a place to get good water. They cannot protect themselves. They can't find a good place to even rest. A shepherd has to be with them. A shepherd has to guide them, has to take care of them, has to protect them, and really has to be the constant companion of the sheep. In fact, each morning, a shepherd would lead the sheep out uh, to find a place to have them graze and to have, find water. And then in the afternoon, the sheep would lie down and they would rest in those green pastures. Psalm 23 talks a lot about what's really the pattern of the day that a shepherd would go through every day with his sheep following him. The shepherd would take care of their wounds by pouring oil on them. He pours oil on my head. He's trying to heal me, to put oil on to heal. The, it's such a picture of lushness, isn't it? They have everything they could possibly need. I mean, what else does a sheep need, right? You've got to have great grass. You've got to have water. You've got to have somebody who's taking care of you. You've got to have somebody who's protecting you. What else could I need? My cup overflows. I have everything that I could possibly want. The story is told about some tourists in Africa who hired some uh, porters to carry their stuff for them as they were going along. They went for three days, and after three days, the porters just stopped. For a whole day, they stopped to rest. Not, they said, because they were tired, but they said, we walked too far too fast, and now we must wait for our souls to catch up with us. He offers exactly what I need to restore my soul, especially if I wait long enough for my soul to catch up with me. Uh, some of you have been having that experience in reading the Psalms. I've heard a number of people say that as you pray through the Psalm through the week, whatever Psalm we've talked about on Sunday, that you have found that to be your experience, that God is restoring your soul through these Psalms and that they are taking very deep root in you. Shepherds are so inseparable from their flocks that they know their sheep very well, and the sheep know them. In fact, at the end of the day, when, in order to lead them to the night shelter, again, remember, they don't have a barn. You're out in the field, and you've got to do something to shelter these sheep in the middle of the night, so they'll be safe in the night. They might shelter in a cave, or perhaps you as a shepherd would make a, a pen out of thistles and thorns and branches in order to be able to keep them somewhat safe during the night from any kind of animals that would try to get at them. And so at the end of the evening, uh, at the end of the day, the shepherd would herd the sheep towards water and 
perhaps a whole bunch of different herds would end up at the same place before they would go to their separate places to rest with the shepherds. And it, didn't, it wasn't a problem that all of the different sheep from different herds would mix at the water hole. Because this sheep knew their shepherds so well, then when it was time to leave, when the shepherd would call their sheep, the sheep would recognize that sound. They would know that voice, and they would go and follow their own shepherd. They didn't end up in the wrong place because they knew which shepherd that they were following. So as the shepherd led them to this rudimentary shelter that the shepherd may have made, he could get them in through the doorway, but how could he bar the door? And so very often what the shepherd would do to keep the sheep safe in the night was to lie down right in front of the doorway, that opening that the sheep had gone through. He would literally lay down his life for the sheep because he was going to be the only thing that was between them and whatever might try to get at them during the night. For sheep, there are dangers on every hand, and the sheep can even be a danger to themselves. If a sheep flips over on its back, which sometimes they do when they are very heavy with fleece or heavy because it's a pregnant uh, sheep uh, or just a fat sheep, if they land on their back, they can't turn themselves back over. They get stuck. Now, it's not just an inconvenience that there they are stuck with their legs waving in the air, but that they actually can't breathe right. And so a sheep can die if he is stuck on his back. Um, some years ago, we were on a tour in rural England, and our guide, uh, Tom, had been raised in a sheep herding family in Cornwall. He would look very closely at sheep that we saw in the field as we drove by. We saw them all the time. And what he was looking for was exactly this. He was looking for a sheep that was flipped on its back and that didn't have a shepherd nearby. He didn't do it when he was with us, but he was known, we heard, to stop the bus, to get off the bus, and to go climb the fence and go flip over a sheep if he found a sheep that was on his back because he knew that it was the only way to save its life. Sheep just have trouble all over the place. They need a whole lot of taking care of. So a shepherd would carry a rod, to, uh, like a club, to protect them from whatever enemies there might be. Jesus said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. I will protect you. Sheep would wander into the strangest of places. You know that shepherd crook? Uh, Jerry has a shepherd's crook that is in his office. There's a reason for that crook. It's to grab them and to bring them back because they went into some stupid place where they weren't supposed to be. Or they wandered off onto the wrong trail. When I see an opening through the trees that looks like there might be better grass over there, he comes after me and he brings me back. He won't let me ever stray too far away out of his care. He will be sure that he comes and finds me and carries me home. The sheep are always under the watchful eye of the shepherd. Wherever you go, wherever you rest, he is watching you and he is taking care of you. Even when your path leads through the darkest valley or through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks with you and he puts himself between you and whatever it is that is trying to harm you. This week has been a week in the valley of the shadow of death, hasn't it? Last week when Jerry preached, he told us that Kay, his wife had had a stroke and no one knew at the time whether she would survive. She has done very well. She is in uh, acute rehab. She is sitting up. She is feeding herself. She has a lot of rehab work to do, as do, do most people who have a stroke. But she is going to be okay. Uh, my husband Dave's sister died last Monday night. And a number of you have been in ICU in the last week. We have had a church that has gone through the valley of the shadow of death this week 
more than I have seen most other weeks that I have been here. All of us end up walking through the valley of the shadow of death with somebody we love and eventually for ourselves. Cordula Dick Mulkey, who is uh, one of the people that we use to speak to our adult education and our deacons about aging and about death. She is a psychologist who specializes in that field. She says what everybody wants to do is they want to walk right up to the verge of death, being perfectly well, perfectly well and healthy, and just die in their sleep at night. But that happens to hardly anybody. And there's so much anxiety for us around that process of dying. Even if we're confident that we're going to go and be with God when we die, it's getting from here to there that a lot of us just have a lot of anxiety about and usually refuse to talk about. That's why I'm glad that we're reading these two books in the book group, When Breath Becomes Air and Being Mortal, because they give us a chance, a way to talk about this subject that is really hard for us to be able to talk to one another about. I have been through the valley of the shadow of death with so many family members. For my grandmother and for my aunt, I was the primary decision maker. And I made some bad decisions. I am learning from, particularly from being mortal, so much that I would do differently if I had those decisions to make again. My mom and my dad were quite different about how they would talk about death. Uh, my mother would not talk about it. Um, she actually was in pretty much in denial that she was getting old, even when she was almost completely blind and deaf, at, and she passed at age 98. But as far as she was concerned, she didn't have any troubles, and she was going to just keep on going forever. My dad lived to be a hundred, and his way of addressing death was uh, about once a year from the time he turned 80, he would, walk, he would write a letter to my sister and I, uh, dear daughters, he, now he wouldn't say when I die, he would say, if anything happens. Every letter said, dear daughters, if anything happens. And the letters were a little different each year. He liked to tell the story of his life, and he, it, which was actually very helpful because then when he died, I wrote the obit out of a collection of like, you know, a bunch of these letters and pieced together uh, things that he kept remembering fresh about parts of his life. He would talk about that, and he would also talk about how to take care of his orange grove and about who to do this and that with, and how you get crop insurance. I mean, he told us, you know, a whole lot of stuff. And, but he also talked about what he wanted. And as children, that was just very helpful to us, because at some point, we did have to make some decisions about him. And we just knew so much, because he had been willing to talk about it. Every time we went to see them, to visit, it seemed like he wanted to bring up the subject again. It was very awkward to have to talk about death every time we visited for 20 years. But, you know, it was really a good thing. At the time, it seemed stupid. But I'm so glad that he was willing to do it. I, and very few people are willing to do that. Atul Gawande, who is the author of Being Mortal, says that he came to realize that as a doctor, he had been trained to throw all of his resources at trying to fix, at trying to heal no matter what. He was going to try to make the patient well, even when it was probably no longer possible to do that, and when additional treatment would just make the patient more miserable. But he tells the stories about what he learned as he learned to listen to patients and to think more about what was important to them at the end of their life. When a patient's time is short, he said that he wanted to work towards the goal of making every day the best possible day 
for that patient, as the patient would define it, not as he, as the doctor, might define it. So with his own patients and with his parents, he learned to ask four questions that are questions that I want to remember. As someone's time was short, he learned to ask them, what do you understand about your condition? As a doctor, that helped him know what to say next. But then he would also ask, if your condition continues to get worse, what are your worries or your fears? That was not necessarily what he might predict. Uh, for some people, of course, they were afraid of pain or they were afraid of paralysis or they were afraid of lack of control or maybe they were afraid of being alone. In the time that you have left, however much time that is, what are your goals and what are your hopes? And answers would vary from anything from I want to be able to go to my granddaughter's wedding next week to perhaps I want to be able to pass down some family memories or I want to be able to spend time with friends. What trade-offs are you willing to make? For instance, to gain a few more weeks, are you willing to go through the side effects of additional treatment? Or to be pain-free, are you willing to give up some of the mental alertness that you might lose if you were on heavy pain drugs? My father, his trade-off, he would give up anything to be able to stay at home and die at home and not be put in an institution. Gawande said it was the hardest thing to do to ask these questions of his own father when his father was diagnosed with a spinal tumor that was causing him pain and partial paralysis. But his goal became that he wanted to give his dad as many as possible of those best possible days. And because he was able to ask his dad these things and talk about them, he was able to make decisions when his dad was in surgery and know what his father would want instead of just trying to guess at the time. Rabbi Harold Kushner, in response to 9-11, to wrote a book about Psalm 23 because people asked, where was God? And he said, Psalm 23 introduces us to a God who is with us in our pain, to a God who promises never to leave us alone, but who is going to go through it with us, whatever it is. I was reminded at MOPS last week, every mom at my table of these preschool moms was talking about how important it was for them to not go through parenting alone. How important it had been that they had met these other seven women at their table, and they had had no idea until four weeks ago how much it would help them to have other people go through some of the difficulties of parenting preschoolers together instead of by themselves. Kushner talks about an experiment that was done about pain. Seems like a strange thing to experiment with pain. You can't exactly inflict a lot of pain on somebody just as an experiment. So the experiment was how long could somebody keep their foot in, very, in ice water? Yeah, I'm not terrible pain. So how long could they keep their foot in ice water? They discovered that if they had some, a caring person with them, the, the, the subject, I guess, of the experiment could keep their foot in ice water twice as long. Twice as long. With somebody with you, pain is half as painful. You can endure it twice as long. Difficulty, you can endure it twice as much if somebody is with you. In deacons, we talk about that. We don't know what to say when somebody's in a bad place, but at least we can be with them. And that counts for a whole lot. Where is God when you're in trouble? He walks right with you through the darkest valley, whether that valley is the valley of the shadow of death or not. Because he is still a watchful shepherd 
And he is still on your side. He is not on the side of evil or pain. And he's putting himself between you and whatever it is that is trying to hurt you. In life and in death, we belong to God. And as the good shepherd that he is, his goodness and mercy will not only follow us all our days. The word is, it will pursue us. He will chase us down with his goodness and mercy until eventually we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith together. In one of the great creeds from the, from the Reformation, the Heidelberg Catechism was used at the time of the Reformation to teach congregations about their faith, and so it was in the form of question and answer. Uh, lots of people in those days would have memorized all of the questions and answers to this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Let us be seated.
good shepherd, teach us to follow you, to care for all that are close to us, to protect us, to protect those who are threatened, to welcome those who are rejected, to forgive those who are burdened by guilt, to heal those who are broken and sick, to share with those who have little or nothing, to take the time to really know one another and love as you have loved us. Good shepherd, teach us to follow you, to spread compassion to those who are far away, to speak for those who are voiceless, to defend those who are oppressed and abused, to work for justice for those who are exploited, to make peace for those who suffer violence, and to love as you have loved us. Good shepherd, teach us to follow you and to be faithful to the calling you gave us. As we offer our gifts and lives in this moment, may we become imitators of you, gracious God, who holds nothing back from us, but is generous and gracious with all that is yours. Loving God, we offer these prayers, joining our voices to the great chorus of those who sing your praise and depend on you alone. And until that day, our kingdom comes in its fullness, praying together the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus. I'm accused of doing my sermons to advertise my programs. Um, maybe you would like to read the books that I talked about, uh, Being Mortal and When Breath Becomes Air. Their information is in the connections. Whether you join with the book group and talk about those or not, I, I think it does give us a way to talk uh, with one another about uh, important things about the valley of the shadow of death. I hope this week that you will take the opportunity to read and to pray through Psalm 23. We are trying to pray the psalm each day of the week. Perhaps there's a part of that that will be especially the prayer that God wants to pray through you uh, throughout this week. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.